Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, recorded in the Bank of Ireland Startup Pub in uh, Grand Cross Square. I'm here with uh, Ruben Godfrey from Irish Tech News, Paul Ennis, and Laurie Kirk from uh, the, well, the Deloitte. Well, Laurie, you're from Deloitte. Paul, you're from the Coding Value Project. Um, so everyone knows about Deloitte, uh, Laurie, uh, in bigger terms, but in relation to, to blockchain, you're part of a, a team that's working on on uh, exploring exploring uh, what, what what Deloitte can do with your with your customers in there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having having me today. Um, basically, we've been interested in blockchain really at an EMEA level for the last, I'd say, eighteen months or so to two years, um, and I'm part of an EMEA blockchain team. At the moment, um, and really, it all kind of started with. Uh, I suppose we wrote uh, a short POV on blockchain, and there's a lot of talk about blockchain in the market. And so we just wanted to demystify what it is, explain what Bitcoin is, explain what blockchain is, and the difference between the two. Um, we also then worked with Chainsmiths, uh, Fidelity, and City to sponsor a hackathon out in DCU, um, and really from then we, I suppose, a lot of interest has just emerged in the market around blockchain and we've been having a lot of educational sessions with our clients um, and we've kind of since gone on to do some interesting work uh, with Bank of Ireland. It's nice to, to be here in Bank of Ireland talking about yeah. that piece of work. Um, so we've gone on to do a proof of concept with them and had a number of conversations with their clients as well. So that probably just gives a brief synopsis as to what we've been up to. And uh, what's the, the kind of the feedback been from your customers I'd say there's a lot of people who know very little about it really or a dangerous amount <laughs> it's probably we're, we're actually writing an article at the moment with EFMA um, the European Financial Marketing Association and we've just done a survey of over 3,000 C-suite uh, people and what we thought there were a lot of people were more in the, I suppose, were further along their blockchain journey. But what we found is actually 29% of people that we surveyed actually haven't started um, their blockchain journey and 44% of people are actually still in the learning phase. And I think Ireland actually still reflects that directly after this. I'm running back up the road to give another educational section to a, to a, actually a governmental department on blockchain. Okay. So there's, there's still a lot of people in the learning phase, which is great. But what we're really trying to push is that last year was kind of the learning phase and this year we want people to roll up their sleeves and get into the doing phase or the POC phase. And Paul, you're obviously out in UCD. Um, can you tell us a bit about your, your own role uh, and a bit about the, the Coding Value Project and, and sort of you're at a kind of different side of blockchain. You're coming to it from a different angle to say Laurie and myself even as well. But maybe you could explain a bit about your background and, and what the Coding Value Project is. Yeah, so I mean the Coding Value Project uh, started a few years ago before I was in um, UCD. Essentially focuses on digital currencies. So of course the business school is going to be interested in uh, currency, how people use currency and so on. And this is the first time in a well, the first time there's ever been a kind of legitimate, real alternative that's out there with such a large market cap, seven billion and so on. So there's a, a lot of interest there. Um, I come into it specifically as the kind of Bitcoin, um, or started out as the Bitcoin person, um, which slowly evolved into blockchain. So you can no longer really pay attention to Bitcoin specifically without paying attention also to the blockchain, yeah, even so though they, they represent two different... So, so yeah, it should kind of be clear that when people are talking about blockchain, they're talking about Bitcoin blockchain. Is that fair to say? Well, when, um, 
I don't know. These days, it's kind of split into two. I suppose uh, you have the uh, what I would see as traditionalist Bitcoiners, people who are kind of yeah. decentralization focused, probably libertarians and so on. They got into it for very different reasons. Um, then on the other side, we have a kind of what they see as a gentrification of uh, Bitcoin, uh, but that the corporate side would see as Bitcoin growing up. Uh, so there's a there's a sort of tension between the communities. Um, mm-hmm. It's not as clear cut as that, but that would be the broad strokes between them. Okay, and. Uh Obviously, what Laurie was saying about there's kind of uh, different levels of knowledge. Um, he's educating customers, I guess, from the sort of top down, and you're, you're involved in the academic side of it. And um, what's your own journey been, or, or have you seen things accelerate in the last while? Yeah, uh, it's been pretty interesting. So when I got into bitcoins uh, fairly early, I was uh, um, uh, mining bitcoin quite early. So you know, I, I very much had that sort of a uh, uh, technology type approach. That's uh, how I got into it. I wasn't interested in the, the idea of it being a currency per se. I never expected it to be a currency. Yeah. I kind of dropped off the radar like a lot of people and then came back when I discovered that it was worth so much. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've always been immersed in the various Bitcoin communities. So I've yeah. been doing an ethno- uh, ethnography of the, the various ones, Bitcoin Talk, the Reddit and so on. Yeah. And um, trying to kind of uh, show people the kind of deeper background structure of who actually runs Bitcoin, Bitcoin yeah. Core which is more centralized than people really believe. So when it gets to, say, to, 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 to Laurie's customers and you're talking about sort of what the impact is in their day-to-day, it is kind of getting into the, the science side of it more than... Yeah, I, I mean, I do wonder whether they... Uh, so this is a kind of strange tension. One way you want to show how it works. Another way, it doesn't really matter. You know, yeah. it, it's better almost if it sinks <laughs> into the background. Um, I mean, I've seen this, uh, this argument made a few times that uh, the success of blockchain is the day that nobody can see it anymore, yeah. you know? Uh, which is probably where it needs to go, and I think that's where the development side uh, becomes important. But um, these blockchains will have to be sort of created and implemented. Although yeah. there are, like, they are actually further along than I think uh, people uh, give them credit for. Can you get into that a little bit more? And I guess it's something I imagine a lot of Deloitte's customers will, will want to know: is what's the difference between public and private blockchains, and, and maybe demystify that I don't think it's as scary as people think but there is a, a very clear distinction there should be a very clear distinction yeah so I mean the, the Bitcoin uh, blockchain is a public ledger everybody can see every transaction that happens on it and it's completely uh, it's secured on a decentralized basis so uh, all the miners are incentivized uh, to kind of keep the, the blockchain secure but you can see everything you can do blockchain analysis you can work it out uh, you know and through various means, who did what and so on. So this is uh, usually seen as a, uh, a permissionless system. There's nobody yeah. centralized who comes in and you know can tamper with it. And so, uh, so that's the big security part. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have a, um, this idea of uh, permission-based kind of measures, yeah. which will have something closer to a, a private blockchain, um, which uh, I guess will... Uh, be closer to a traditional kind of ledger. There are some yeah. people that can, you know, change things around. Although it's not always like that. Some of the different ones are actually more complicated than that. They're built on um, Ethereum, or they're built on uh, Iris Industries has its own blockchain, mm-hmm. and they uh, they do have a quasi decentralized structure there. You know, so okay, that's a bit of a difference though, fundamentally. You mentioned Ethereum, and there was a. a Again, their their day or their. Can you tell us a bit about the the sale of or what happened there exactly? Not, not exactly a sale, but uh, is that it was a sale? Yeah, I mean, I maintain a long interest in uh, Bitcoin scams and heists. That's a side <laughs> interest of mine. Something like quite epic, and uh, 
I've always said like if somebody writes a book about it, nobody will believe it, you know. <laughs> um, some of the things have gone on crazy. Uh, particularly famous, you know, our classic Bitcoin scam is of course the, the IPO, the crowd sale, mm-hmm. uh, where everybody puts in uh, a load of money uh, to some grand project, uh, you know, that they'll be rewarded down the line. So it's, yeah. uh, you know. Um, and this one was raised 26 million, which makes it, or at least that's just this discrepancies between the actual amount uh, raised. Um, it's very difficult to know who's behind it. Um, so I just kind of wonder whether it's. And what was the crowd sale for? Can you? Is it easy to to, to explain that? Because I might get into a bit more about what Ethereum, what I believe and what I've read, what Ethereum promises. If if it delivers half of what it promises, Ethereum could be the the Google moment for blockchain, maybe. So I mean, if Ethereum is supposed to be set up as the the world computer, yeah. um, so it's this idea of this uh, almost. Uh, intelligence that's a sort of out there it has that artificial intelligence kind of style to it mm-hmm. and then the decentralized autonomous organizations uh, like at least this uh, crowd sale is kind of set up as the collective intelligence of all the Ethereum people will vote on the best projects to go okay. forward with so it's a collective intelligence well, kind of aspect didn't know it was that ethereal but um, so I mean this gets into what smart contracts are and perhaps one of the, the most interesting uses of blockchain and, and what Ethereum I guess for anyone that's not sure what that is give it a look it up uh, without being too glib <laughs> but uh, it's pretty interesting like Paul said it's uh, essentially a world computer so you turn into your, your machine or your processing power uh, into a node on this you, you just have a user account on a, a world virtual machine so a lot of people will be used to having virtual machines. So this is a global virtual machine that has no possibility, unless everything fails, of going down ever, which is a pretty interesting concept. So you're not, no, you're no longer storing something on a server somewhere. It's actually local, right? I mean, it's stored locally, and you can execute then smart contracts, which again worth worth looking up uh, on the, on their own. Um, but essentially, smart con- contracts are. are pieces of code that are written that will, will fulfill themselves and this gets back around to what Deloitte would be either interested of or, or fearing um, depending on how you look at it um, there has to be an element of that I suppose that you're looking into this there has to be a not a fear necessarily but you guys are, are potentially going to be impacted most when it comes to auditing when it comes to these sorts of so I mean what, what's you know obviously uh, that's going to have you guys got a line on that yet Laurie? <laughs> <laughs> I look I think I think for everybody, blockchain is you know an opportunity and a threat. And mm. um, the key thing is is to do something about it. To yeah. Understand. Just, we touched on that earlier, and um, to understand what it is, what it can do, and then also to yeah reevaluate what part it, it, it plays or can play in your business. And so our clients are coming to us asking that question, right? What is blockchain, and, yeah. and how do we make money from it? Um, and sometimes it's it's not always the case that you know what this isn't a new revenue opportunity stream or yeah, 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 you know yeah. a normal database will actually do just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are instances where it is actually a good idea. So mm-hmm. uh, in our own world, from an audit perspective, um, we're making or we're saving vast amounts of money. Sorry, we're investing vast amounts of money to identify where um, how we can improve the audit process by using yeah. new technologies. Blockchain being one of those. Sure. That's on a global scale. So just to address that question specifically. Um, in terms of what we're doing with our clients, I suppose, um, 
our, our primary clients who are interested in this area at the moment are financial services, um, but what we're seeing of late and over the last couple of months specifically are actually non-financial services clients coming to us okay. looking for information about blockchain is, which I think is really interesting. Obviously, all the banks are interested for, for reasons we discussed kind of at the top of the conversation, you know, they don't want to be disintermediated, they, they want control of everything, yeah. um, and they fear something which disrupts that. So I guess when it comes to settlements, reconciliations, wherever it's, if it's person A who wants to transact with person B on a peer-to-peer basis without, without a need for settlement or reconciliation in the middle, yeah. then blockchain could play a role in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is kind of, the, like Paul mentioned, is it Coindesk, that article you wrote, with, with the four different, four different adopters or early adopters of Bitcoin and blockchain being uh, programmers and speculators libertarians and criminals <laughs> um, so I kind of think I think for me that uh, like you know I, I think I can identify myself <laughs> I'd be more on the libertarian side of the thing or the opportunity that exists to kind of get rid of uh, a lot of bureaucracy and kind of make financial transactions or less financial and more just transactions um, but you know to remove the middlemen to take away a lot of that flab like I said before uh, uh, f- from uh, banks inefficient structures that, that exist whether it's government whether it's it's big institutional banks or, or wherever it is mm. if you look at the kind of on the governmental side of things which again we've been was it Vitalik Buterin said that there's uh, the guy who invented or wrote the white paper for Ethereum said that the big uh, the big tech houses have been frighteningly quiet about Bitcoin and I think it's kind of the same from, from a government point of view that uh, we look at Ireland and um, the conversation was raised very briefly by Stephen Donnelly in the Doyle. There was a, a good address from Gareth Murphy from the Central Bank about Bitcoin blockchain two years ago, and there's been silence since. Now, obviously, government hasn't been stable, but I mean, what opportunities do you think that there are? I mean, both to, to either you, Paul, or, or to you, Laurie Mundy, what opportunities are there at a national level? Where, where can Ireland position itself with blockchain? So. If I may jump in a start, um, lots of opportunity in short. So I think, and I know where this kind of conversation is going on um, in the background, but there is an opportunity to make Ireland synonymous with blockchain. And I know other cities and countries are looking at, at this, but we, we are a small nation. We've got lots of really good tech people. And I know I'm kind of, you know, towing the party line here, no. the government line, lots of tech people, lots of financial services people, lots of really good industry, lots of jobs being created yeah. in the tech sector here. So we have a really good mix. So in the same way, I suppose, when if I was to say cyber, some people would say Israel, there is an opportunity for Ireland to become the blockchain piece, but it's about yeah. mo- having a structure and mobilizing quickly so that we, we, I suppose our name is out there early mm-hmm. and on a constant basis and we're proving ourselves. And in order to do that, for me, what we need to do is actually have a, a governmental or national or infrastructural level blockchain POC, mm-hmm. where we have different departments between government um, all using a blockchain or the blo- uh, or a governmental entity working with the banks using blockchain technology. Yeah. That would send a huge signal to what well, to the rest of the world. That mm. would make global news. Yeah, and Paul, I mean, obviously from your side, academically, you're going to see people who would be the ones to 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 be who would be drawn on for a lot of that stuff. I mean, what's your own understanding? Obviously, you've got Isla Man right next door who are really leading the way. A lot of people would say with blockchain and how it's adopted. Switzerland or other neutral European like, uh, sitting smugly in the centre of Europe. I mean, could, could we do something out here where we are? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a it's a great opportunity. I mean, this is a 
a kind of young programmer type culture. You know, that, that's mm. where we are in Ireland at the moment. Uh, if you, if there was something like that, something, uh, yeah, it probably would have to be led by the government just to kind of put out there that this is a um, sort of officially backed and so on. It provides a lot of work. Yeah. Um, for a generation who are, you know, pretty pretty much on board, they won't need the massive amount of uh, convincing yeah. uh, to put effort into a project like the blockchain if it's phrased in that kind of technical pursuit kind of way, actually implementing it. I think people would be uh, very interested in it. And no major Western country um, has kind of gone for the full uh, blockchain experiment. So whoever mm. goes first, yeah. What much. does that What does that mean? I mean, this is kind of the other thing as well, is what does a blockchain experiment mean? Does it mean putting the housing registry on? Does it mean getting rid of a government department? Does it mean what, like, does it mean having universal basic income? <laughs> like, how far do you go with it? Like, like it, it, I don't think it needs to be a massive use case, but a use case and a, a good use case yeah. and one that works. So I guess something that come to mind immediately would be around regulation, if we come on to that for a moment. So, oh, yeah. for example... Uh, a lot of the financial institutions and many other institutions have to provide reporting to the regulator, but it's all on a push basis, and so all the banks have to kind of, I guess, um, gather the data, analyze it, and then create a report and feed it back to the regulator. Mm. Whilst if those institutions who are all acting or uh, working with one another use a blockchain to share information and then give read access to the regulator to that blockchain, mm. well, there's a there's a use case right there. And what's the short-term win? Is that going to be, it's just more efficient? Do you think that you could, that's something that's been, you know, that's what you're trying to do, is increase efficiency? You're, it's going to increase efficiency, but it's also going to provide access uh, to near real-time data uh -huh. to the regulator to help them supervise the yeah. banks better on that near real-time basis. Yeah. So, like, they're obviously super busy people um, trying to review a huge amount of data. So what they need to do is to be able to manage data early, quickly, and identify areas or, or problems so that they can act or react. Yeah. That's one query, like, about the about the companies who, uh, who are using Bitcoin. Anybody in Ireland could have it basically as a way of payment. So if you're a government, if you're a government department or body, you can say, look, pay with Bitcoin. That might get people more on the road to using it. Totally. There's, this is kind of gets into the two different uses or the two sides of Bitcoin and blockchain, um, and it's kind of contentious. You could, in theory, Paul, right, get it used as a payment method, but really, it's more perhaps more valuable in terms of what it can do on the back end. If you say you write that, like so, in terms of. Having the access to information, having the, the availability to that information, having it open and just more efficient. The, the payment side of it, I don't know, Paul, what would you think on that? I mean, this, this is where the civil the civil war in Bitcoin is still around, whether it's better for for, for, for as a payment method or... Yeah, I mean, I make, I make a very, very sharp distinction between Bitcoin and blockchain. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Bitcoin is not something that's going to be uh, adopted by governments or it's, it's never going to reach that sort of... Uh, yeah mainstream threshold it's not that type of thing it's a it really is a kind of uh, private money almost like you know that's mm. kind of recognized by a, a fairly large community but a very um, a community that's mostly using it for either uh, micro payments so I mean when I use I use it on things like websites like Fiverr or whatever just because it's faster than yeah. PayPal that's really the only use I have mm. for it um, and I'd like to see more of that sort of online but it's really just a kind of faster alternative to uh, PayPal less hassle um, and it is, I mean, the attempts to regulate it so far uh, tend either to be kind of uh, pointless. So, I mean, the kind of people who are, or the places where it has been a ban are places like Ecuador and so on, where it's not really used that much. In America, there there's lots of competing different uh, forms of regulation, but really it's just about taxation, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, blockchain is totally different. It, it's, uh, it has so many uh, 
um, wider kind of different implementations yeah. that are not based on currency, which means there's far less regulation and legal sure. implications. And uh, I guess when you talk about then as well, there's opportunities for companies to get into it to start up. I mean, there's a lot of um, a lot of good young people coming out of school or even preschool. I mean, you know, preschool leaving. I don't think there's as much of a need for a formal. Is there? There is. We we saw one of these. There is actually a degree and a master's you can do in uh, in Bitcoin Cyprus. in Cyprus. Yeah, Antonopoulos, is it? Yeah, and. Uh, so, so you can do it, obviously, but it's not something that you need a formal qualification to, to kind of get started in. It is just a question of having an idea, uh, and and you, you don't need to have you kind of garage band style business. Sort of, that's it is possible, right? Yeah, that, like my two cents on this is that it's kind of funny. People think oh, Bitcoin is you know crazy, or how do I get access to it? You go onto the the you know Apple App Store and download download a. Of digital wallet, mm. and then move money into that wallet to buy Bitcoin. It's that easy, mm. and then you can start experimenting with it. You know, you mm. can transfer really low value amounts to your friends. So I started. I asked a friend download it, great, and then I owed him some money for lunch, and then I paid him back in Bitcoin. Okay. You know, I'm probably a bigger fool now because he's made money out of the appreciation. But it's getting people to see how easy it is. Mm. So in order to to send money from one person to another, it's it's as easy as an email. It, it feels like that we're going to be looking back in this conversation twenty years time. And it sounded like trying to explain how to email somebody, it, you know. It, it exactly. Yeah, Embarrassingly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is a communication protocol. Like, I mean, that, that, that was the general uh, sort of idea uh, that Satoshi had. That all you're doing is communicating the value in a very simple kind of way, and that's all that's going on. Another thing that's kind of key when you're getting it really simplistic is communicating value in a, in, with somebody you just don't trust, fundamentally don't trust. And it's this is one of the key features. If you kind of get your head around that early, I think it it goes a long way to, to kind of understanding the beauty or the the inbuilt um, mechanisms that you just over the internet you don't know who they are, so you don't trust them. So you have in these layers of security, and that's basically what everything else is built on. So with that, the security thing is always kind of interesting when people talk about it being unsecure or or um, a dangerous way to to kind of store your money. <laughs> It's just they. I guess they don't understand where money is stored right now, or you know. That, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Paul. That's probably an interesting question for you. Like, as far as I know, the Bitcoin blockchain has not been hacked since it started. So when it comes to security, Ruben, and mm. I think it's an interesting point that so far to date, there's been loads of questions about security on the Bitcoin blockchain, mm. but it has not been hacked successfully once, yeah. proving the technology yeah. works. It's, it's peripheral technology around the. the Exchanges that got hacked, right? I mean, the the exchanges, uh, like so, the blockchain itself is the reason it's unhackable is that, um, I mean, the technology speaks for itself. Yeah, but yeah. even the the kind of small points of attack uh, are very much based on they have to be really fast, and then all the miners, whatever, have to, uh, in some sense, keep building on that blockchain. Mm -hmm. But everybody notices when the blockchain is being uh, tampered with. So there's no yeah. incentive to, to hack it. So it's yeah. it's always about human behavior as well. He's very. Uh, Kind of prescient about how people will act, you know. Mm. Satoshi definitely had that in mind. Um, but then uh, the exchanges themselves are, yeah, they're the weak points. Mt. Gox uh, or Mt. Gox. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that's just the classic thing. If somebody didn't know uh, too much about uh, how to run an exchange, it could have been any exchange. Yeah. It could have been a dollar euro. Or, uh, the same. But the weak point wasn't the blockchain. The weak point was the other 
systems around it. Well, no, the other legacy IT infrastructure or and the humans that, that were operating it, right? it wasn't. They became kind of high targets yeah. for very sophisticated hackers because it's so easy to move the Bitcoin yeah. that they moved their efforts from hacking traditional kind of PayPal type stuff mm-hmm. and put all their efforts into the Bitcoin. The exchange. main is human error. Humans are the main problem with this. And if they aren't, been, they don't know how to actually run it properly. They're gonna, you're gonna find a way of get, getting in and, and disrupting the service. Well, this is again, you're dead right, and this is what comes back to um, Ethereum and smart contracts. Where if you look at the problems that are built into existing bureaucratic exchanges, are the humans, and uh, we've all had kind of anecdotal or anecdotes where, where you know it is just somebody who's sitting on a forum for a week. That it, that's why you're late, you know. And if, if it's something that can be self-executing contracts it, it really you're dead right that I think there's a lot of space for, for humans to get out of the equation a bit further um, speaking of humans getting out of the equation what about Satoshi obviously last week um, the the <laughs> the, uh, the great popcorn soap opera um, so Satoshi Nakamoto I'm sure you all, all heard already was uh, is still a mystery who he was despite Craig Stephen Wright claiming that he had evidence to be Satoshi Nakamoto wasn't in fact able to fulfill it or if he was made up some sort of reason why he wouldn't um, but it's kind of put to bed I think any of the, the personality or cult of personality around uh, who Satoshi Nakamoto is and whether it makes any difference at all I think that was the general consensus of, at least from my what I've been reading is that it doesn't really matter it's going to remove that the, the interest so maybe we can all just kind of get on with it a bit what's your own thoughts Laurie Paul um, for me I totally agree with you Ruben it's just like in a lot of ways interesting but who cares mm. and I'm on to the next article yeah. um, like it, for me it's it's you know to, to paraphrase someone else recently it's just all about the blockchain anyway and mm. um, so Bitcoin's great and interested in it but that's it obviously lives on the blockchain whoever came up with it is, is a genius and um, whoever that person may be and I do think the hype that's there is just to to maintain the legend um, of Satoshi yeah. so whether it's it was him or not we'll probably never know mm. and he, he may have gotten all sorts of messages that some started to think in the background you know, saying, I can't believe you outed yourself. Yeah, yeah. You've got to remain that it is yeah, a cult yeah. and it is a legend. Isn't and so it? then that's why he withdrew. Whether he had the keys or not, we'll probably never know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I take a different thing on it, but only because uh, it's part of my research area. I can imagine if I was looking at it from the outside, I wouldn't be that interested. Uh, it matters to me just for two kind of subtle reasons. One is actually just the financial thing. So there's I, a, there I, is actually a technical reason why it's important. But. Yeah, yeah, which is the uh, to do with the uh, how the consensus changes occur and so on. So if Satoshi comes back, that, that person has a very strong claim for the uh, how the debates kind of go forward and so mm. on. He would have access uh, directly to the, uh, the code base, of which only three people have it, and they mm. all have to sort of agree. Um, so yeah, I, but then again, that's very much my... Uh, niche kind of like interest in it but I'm not sure it really overall that, that is interesting though it's also like that per- Satoshi's super wealthy <laughs> yeah. as well um, yeah. and they can move the love they can move the dial yeah yeah, but yeah. This yeah. Is the, the value but that's the thing it's, I think most people would agree that it's a they and not a he or a she uh, that it is more than one person I think it's one person you think it's one yeah yeah okay. do you think <laughs> it's Mr. Wright no 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 I think I've seen Mr. Wright before I went last in the December is a few yeah, months December, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he tried the same thing and as uh, Vitalik uh, Ethereum said I mean uh, why take the, the long route all he has to do is sign a message it takes two seconds mm. or even send one transaction I mean it's the easiest thing in the world to do uh, if it is him um, I mean it's 
it's a classic kind of murky case of like different people backing each other up and so on. But I mean, it's I reckon the real guy, uh, considering how technically sophisticated he was, would surely just have the key and just the data. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But um, yeah, it'll be Oliver Stone will make a movie about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so yeah, there's another interesting thing coming up. Um, again, it had had precedence. What was it a year and a half ago? The the, the first happening was it two years ago? Uh, but the Bitcoin halvening is coming up, which is essentially uh, last time this happened. Well, first of all, what does it, what does it mean for <laughs> technically? It's it's the miners are basically Bitcoin miners are about to get the reward halved for the same effort of, of yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. So in order to keep the the blockchain um, secure, uh, miners basically uh, expand computational power. Uh, you know that's and then when they solve a puzzle to say that this transaction is legitimate then they get their uh, reward which is currently 25 bitcoin which is you know a fair amount um, of course these are massive mining operations centralized in China you can fit 10 of the guys on a stage yeah. they own most of the, the hashing power and so on um, and then yeah, of course so it's going to uh, it's going to halve down to 12.5 um, so yeah I mean it gets I mean this is partly built in to at least uh, s- sort of disrupt uh, that kind of centralization. Yeah. You know, it is supposed to shake things up. So it gives, people, it gives people an opportunity now to kind of get in or for, for the, the playing field to be somewhat leveled. Or, or Yeah, so people who had traditionally got lots of reward can now it can open it up to, to more competition. Yeah, and you might see some uh, kind of hashing power dropping off. It depends on the... Yeah. Uh, some people yeah, might decide it's the time for them to kind of give up. But uh, I do think it might actually end up re-centralizing even further because you're going to get all the people that are, are kind of medium miners, the American guys yeah. in LHS, I think Doubling it is. Doubling down. Um, I don't think they'll disappear, the American ones, okay. the Russian ones. Yeah. Well, this is what happened last time was that there was massive amount of fluctuation in the price and it went up to the, the high points of $1,200 back down around, what was it we said today? Four, four hundred euro. Four hundred euro, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, that's expected probably to go back up to, to something a bit strange. Uh, the the halving, the, the next halving happens in 62 days. Um, so between now and then, and probably for a little bit after, there's probably going to be a bit of wild speculation. Some, some big headlines around Bitcoin coming in the next while, probably. Well, I mean, when it comes to this, uh, I always took the advice of, because uh, when I got into it early, kind of naively trading uh, Bitcoin and so on, um, I learned pretty fast that you know it's really the sentiment that kind of drives the markets. It's, mm. it's not really uh, uh, news headlines. Everybody yeah. thinks it's going to like lift things up or lift things sure. down. Sure. Nobody moves until somebody takes a. Well, this is the sentiment thing. I guess what kind of comes back to the Satoshi thing. And there's still a bit of a hangover in the press, in in the, the in business. I'm sure you do with this as well, Laurie. That you'd get baby boomers who would just be saying that's that drug thing. You know, when you you talk exactly. about like Bitcoin blockchain that. And who is that Satoshi Nakamoto, the guy that wears the guy folks mask? You know that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I think there's a few kind of maybe if Satoshi's gone, there's a bit of that hangover from Silk Road um, gone that's, with it. Yeah, no, there's that, that's definitely still evident, especially when we have these education sessions. We we try and break that myth around, you know, I guess the whole Bitcoin drugs, you know, guns, mm. all that kind of stuff immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It's largely irrelevant now, Paul. Right? I mean, you, you said in your, your article that the uh, again, like programmers, speculators, libertarians, and criminals 
criminals are, are probably going to be dwindling and dwindling, or is they're still... No, they're still there, it's just uh, there's not that much attention uh, around them. So, yeah. I mean, there's more uh, darknet markets now than there was, but the, the interest from the... But as a percentage of what activity, it's still... Uh, it's, I mean, it's, I'd say it's pretty... It's, I, would, yeah, I would say it's probably... I'd say it's the same. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's shifted okay. much. I mean, uh, it's the currency of the, the dark web, it's the currency of hackers, but only because it's easy to use. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's a, it's a classic thing of the criminals and hackers are always the first innovators. Mm, yeah, P- yeah. Bitcoin has discovered a lot about itself through the, the kind of escapades of the... But same with VHS videos and... I know, so it's about it. Can it be traced? If you can't trace where money is going, which is with Bitcoin and, and blockchain, it's handy for criminals to use it because they know that fact. No one, no one knows where the money is going or who, who actually owns it. This is a big thing though. Now we know that back then everybody believed it couldn't be traced and now we know that it can be traced. Uh, chiefly true the second they use an exchange to kind of put it into dollars and so on or even there's more sophisticated programs to trace through the blockchain so that's had a big impact on the, the criminal side because now you can say well it's not completely anonymous because I remember years ago when you using blockchain if you want to buy something you can buy it online and no one would know who, who was actually who was going to because you were anonymous and they were saying if they can trace who it is now yeah, yeah, cause it, it makes it more legit which makes mean people can think this is great now because when get rid of all the criminal elements of yes. this you can see it in the, the, the Silk Road case, uh, the actual um, trial itself and the government exhibits, like just how much sort of, uh, how advanced they uh, got just over those few months in terms of tracing the blockchain mm-hmm. and tracing yeah. where the money goes. I mean, another side that will, another aspect of this that's going to lend credibility, um, we said there's a few of the big tech houses, Google, Amazon, uh, Apple, and, and uh, who else? Being there? Facebook. Yeah. They haven't actually released anything about that they haven't kind of put forward a, whether they're using it I'm sure that I mean for sure if I have 50,000 people employed I'm going to get a few of them to, yeah. to to be looking into it I mean they just haven't come forward with it so um, one company that's recently was is Microsoft obviously with uh, their Azure is pretty interesting um, can either of you shed any light on, on sort of what the implications of the growth of the IoT the Internet of Things and, and what the, the, the machinery around that pole and how this may impact is that too big a time for another a whole other conversation about that maybe mostly lost in a yeah. uh, blockchain <laughs> enough I think uh, <laughs> although they're, they're clearly they, they share a lot of kind of uh, characteristics in terms of the, the kind of clear interest everybody kind of is aware I think it's a classic case of a technology that everybody knows is going to be implemented yeah. they don't know exactly how so everybody's keeping an eye on it yeah yeah um, but I mean, you can see it in your daily life. I mean, it's obviously going that kind of direction. Mm-hmm. I think people are very comfortable with, uh, um, yeah, technology essentially being just like absolutely everything. Yeah, at yeah. some point, we're going to switch over. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so I think yeah, on that, like they're obviously, I suppose they're putting their name out there as a to have a platform mm-hmm. to be a, um, linked to the technology to have some kind of offering around mm-hmm, the technology. Mm-hmm. Same with IBM. Same with another of kind of technology vendors and providers as well. Mm-hmm. They just don't just seem to be, I guess, not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, FOMO. Yeah, exactly, FOMO. And, and there is a huge amount of that going on. Mm. Um, cool. Um, so the next thing I think uh, where I'd like to kind of get this conversation going for my own uh, sort of greedy reasons. <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, like I said, this is the first first time we've had this conversation, this podcast, and um, be interested to kind of get feedback from, from anyone that's listening. If you want to be part of it, we would be more than interested. There's more than just the, the three sides you've heard today and that are interested, are stakeholders in this. So all open for, for more topics. Um, and great here uh, from the Coding Value Project or, or from Deloitte again on this as well. Um, where I'd like to hear more 
from I guess against good timing is from our own government around regulation I guess it would be the easy thing for them to talk about um, but certainly people who are involved in politics um, at a national level I think it's, it's important that we don't just sort of let it all drift by us um, so I'd be interested to hear from the central bank was Gareth Murphy uh, also Stephen Donnelly seemed like the, the two people who were active at, at a national level see if we can rattle some trees to get them involved at some point um, but for now yeah thanks a million to, to Laurie and yeah. to Paul Ennis Dr Paul yep that was great thanks guys perfect thank you